Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Ayers, coming to you one week post my wisdom teeth removal. So I'm excited to be able to finally move my mouth, hopefully in an intelligible way today, as I share this episode with our guest, Rafael Cortez. Rafael is an organizational psychologist. He's a real estate coach. He's a broker. He's an investor, and he's an all-around rock star entrepreneur. He's done everything from investing since 2009, doing fix and flips to wholesaling, doing creative financing, making millions of dollars along the way. So I'm excited to bring on today's guest, Rafael Cortez. Rafael, hey, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jacob. It's our pleasure, man. Well, hey, tell us a little bit about who you are, Rafael, where you come from, what you do, all that good stuff. Well, first off, I had my wisdom tooth removed two weeks ago. I oh, no kidding. Not. So we're right on oh, the yeah. same schedule. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're wisdom tooth buddies. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's insane, dude. It's horrible. <laughs> so I feel your pain. I'm based out of Phoenix. My operation is in Phoenix, Arizona. My brokerage is in Arizona, based out of Phoenix again. I'm originally from Yuma. I started as a firefighter down there, and then I eventually moved into real estate. I started fixing and flipping around 2009. Got into wholesaling a little later, a couple of years after that. And I really kind of, you know, cemented my vehicle, right, for wealth and entrepreneurship and real estate. And a lot of it is it's involving that. The rest of the stuff is I do a lot of coaching. I do a lot of consulting for businesses in general when it comes to people and systems because of the organizational psychology background. So, yeah, I mean, I've been doing that for the past, I mean, since coaching, consulting, since about 2014, and then real estate investment since 09. Man, I want to get into a lot of that, but I have to ask, how did you make that transition and why did you make that transition from a firefighter to the real estate industry? So firefighter, I love the fire department. If I were to do anything else, I'd probably go back to the fire department. But, you know, being there 24 hours on, 24 hours off, it's kind of, you know, it can be difficult when it comes to putting together a family and kids and you're gone a lot of time and, and it's taxing. It's also a very emotionally taxing uh, type of field. And I mean, I just, I felt like I wanted a little more, a little more juice out of life. And I left that. I was there for six years and I left the firehouse and I launched my first business, which was, it had nothing to do. I launched it in 2007. It had nothing to do with real estate. It was a non-emergency medical transportation business. So I was uh, taking people to and from medical appointments via wheelchair and stretcher patient, uh, you know, transport vehicles. And yeah, I did well on that. I sold that in 2014, but I built it from the ground up starting in 2007. So anyways, it was a conflict of interest. And honestly, what I was looking for, it was just, you know, something to give me just an excuse, right? To, okay, I have something to aim at. I can leave the firehouse. So yeah, I mean, along the way, I just, you know, I went back to school and got my bachelor's in business and then a couple of master's degrees in psychology and organizational emphasis on that. So it just kind of, it'll start coming together as I progressed and just went through the years. I like how you succinctly put it. You said you just wanted a little bit more juice out of life. And I think a lot of people are feeling that. And same with me, right? You know, but I think that's a good way to put it. You know, you just want a little bit more out of life than, you know, 
where you're currently at. And I think a lot of people find themselves in that position, trying to make that transition, figure out the next thing, right? So awesome that you made the switch to real estate investing. Tell us, you know, how you kind of got into your very first niche of wholesaling. So I got into it. And I think you do have a point. A lot of times it's the fear that holds, you know, people back. The what if question, it can be a very heavy question. Like what if I bet on myself and I do this and I tap into this idea that I have, right? That can be daunting. To me, it was almost like a do or die type of deal. I just put myself in a tough situation uh, (laughs) and I decided to take the leap. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, cool. I have this thing that I'm aiming at. The possibilities are there. And then I burned the bridges, which I don't recommend really, but that was kind of my approach. Meaning that I left the fire department and we gave my two weeks notice and I jumped, you know, head on into the other stuff. But going back to real estate, a couple of years go by, 2007, 2008, they were hard because I was building that transportation business. But around 2009, I started, you know, piling up some cash and I had some money to invest. I mean, it wasn't much. I think it was about seventy, eighty thousand $80,000 or something like that. And then it was like, okay. I mean, I felt like I was good, right? Yeah. Um, because... I had a year's worth of income of like the regular income in the bank account to what I was used to, you know, to when I was in the firehouse. So like right. that was to me, that was a you know, big cushion. Mm-hmm. Um, if you put it into context and you're building a business, I mean, it can go by really, really quick. <laughs> so I had that. It's like, all right, I'm going to do something with it. And I started looking for ideas. And a friend told me about, you know, fix and flip. Like, oh, you know, I have this buddy of mine that he just rehabs properties 2009. I wasn't in the mess of it all in 2008 when, you know, everything hit you know, hit the front. Right. I wasn't there. Like I wasn't investing in real estate there. I got into it. I think it was like October, sometime around October in 2009, when I bought the first property, I did everything wrong on it. I mean, I just, you know, I had a background in construction and the concrete and framing and that sort of stuff, you know, from high school and college and like, eh, I can fix the house. Yeah, it's easy. Um, <laughs> so I bought it unleveraged. I bought the whole thing. I mean, I think I made about 2000 bucks <laughs> on profit. When it was all said and done, but it was like six months of work and yeah, it equated to like one dollar an hour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I made about forty-two cents an hour for <laughs> six months, but it was a really good learning experience, right? So I did that one. I did a little better on the second one. I mean, nothing crazy. I think my second one was also small profit. I was doing everything myself. I was trying to go around and then being the contractor, being you know the typical just you know mentality when it comes to Phillips, right? Like maybe one a year, you know, nothing crazy. I just wanted to tap into something different again, looking for that, uh, maybe a little bit more juice out of life. Let's see what that is. I don't know, three deals into it or so I pay, I actually pay attention to the settlement statement and I see a fee for, I think it was like 18,500. And then it said assignment. The hell is that? Like, yeah. What am I paying here for? Yeah. What was that thing? What is that going on? Why is it going to this guy? Like that I know. So I asked, I was like, yeah, that's my fee for giving you the property because I bought it from a wholesaler. Like, well, good for you. And tell me more. Like, <laughs> how's yeah. how this, you know, coming about? So he gave me some guidance. I found a couple of podcasts. Sean Terry was a big influence when I got started. He's huge in the wholesale space. He's one of the godfathers. So I started listening to his podcast. Eventually went and worked at his company for a couple of years when I sold my business. That's kind of where I really cut my teeth in wholesaling. But since 2013, around there, that's uh, 12, 13. That's when I started just going after wholesale deals. And honestly, I never looked back. I switched my model, the model that I thought I had from fixing and wholesaling on the side to wholesaling and then fixing on the side, which I mean, just turns out a lot better for me. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about that dynamic. You know, what's that look like for you? Do you, you know, flip the properties that kind of meet your very specific criteria? How do you decide when you're looking at a property? Do I wholesale this? Do I fix and flip it? I'm very spoiled when it comes to that, right? I mean, I don't really do heavy fix and flips. It's just not my cup of tea. So my model at this point, 
I run the wholesale business on about 90 minutes a week. And I say that because we have a team meeting on Tuesdays from 10, 30 to 12. And it's a manager's meeting and the managers run their, you know, they have their teams and their people, right? But it's really the amount of time that I have to time block during the week to run the company. Every now and then, if it's, we have a niche commercial deal going on or something, I'll come in and look at it. But for the most part, at this point, my director of operations handles uh, the majority of the business. If we're going to put in more than 50K into a rehab, I mean, it's automatically too big for me. We'll just yeah, do a okay. uh, wholesale assignment. And it's by choice, right? That's just, we're first in line. That's a really cool thing about wholesaling. You're first in line because you can tailor deals as you're going through them. You can structure deals in very, you know, in different ways. You can start, you know, doing creative financing, a lot of stuff. We've done a lot of that. When you're first in line, I mean, you have the opportunity to pick and choose. Okay, cool. This one I'm going to keep. This one I'm going to wholesale. This one, you know, let's see if we can do some creative financing deals on it. Commercial stuff. That's what I'm after right now. And I mean, we get lined up. We just, we're closing on a deal right now. We're making around $80,000 on that. And it's a JV. It's a, a partnership deal. But it's also, you know, using one of the uh, wholesale structure. So it's really cool when you put yourself just in that first position of, okay, well, this is what I can come in and do and cherry pick, right? Yeah, you bring up some good points there, Rafael. And one of the things I used to do is when I'd hear the term wholesaling, I'd kind of put my blinders on because I don't personally wholesale myself. I'm more of a buy and hold real estate investor. But then I got to realizing, hey, these wholesalers are onto something. One, I think wholesalers have better systems and processes than a lot of real estate investors out there. So I get to talking and seeing people like you in the space, Rafael, and I think, wow, these guys are really crushing. I mean, you know, you've got great negotiation skills, you've got great follow-up systems and processes, you've got good, you know, lead generation systems and things like that. So I'm like, there's so much to be learned from wholesalers. So then I started opening my eyes to people like you, and I learn a lot. So that just goes to show I'd recommend people out there. Maybe you hear somebody doing something in a space that you're not necessarily interested. You can always learn from somebody out there. So that's what I take away from a lot of people like yourself, Raphael, crushing it in the wholesaling business. I want to kind of touch on some of those systems and processes. Maybe tell us a little bit about what your business looks like, how you find deals, how you source them, what you do with them, and then how you maybe uh, get rid of them. You know, you're fixing and flipping them, selling them to investors. What's that look like? Perfect. Uh, yeah. So I put together, a, it's a six stage business, really. And that's how I break it down. In those six stages, you can start creating systems and processes for each one of those. But the thing starts running like a machine, right? I'm methodical when it comes that way. Human nature, it tends to be dynamic, right? Just natural psychology, right? Our thoughts are hardly ever linear. We don't think and create in linear form, right? So when we're operating, I don't care who you are, you're going to be sitting at church and then thinking about the kitchen waffle. It's okay, yeah. dynamic yeah. that way. So it's yeah. easy to get sidetracked on trains of thought. But when you start applying a process that keeps just like the entire process line, people in their lane, not necessarily, you know, segmenting the company, right? But delineating the activities that each role has, that's where you want to begin when you're building processes. So the way that I break, I actually use a similar model in my brokerage, but the first stage is sourcing, right? You're sourcing deals. You got to have systems in place to source the deals. For us, for example, that means cold calling. We rely heavily on cold calling. Okay. Um, it's not sexy by any means, but it's definitely one of the uh, tried and tested methods that, you know, it's worked through the decades, right? SMS, text messaging, voicemail blasts and all that stuff, direct mail even, they work for a period of time and then they just, you know, flatline. And cold calling is just, it's consistent. It's one of those things that's, you know, as far as I can think, worked forever. So we have that in place and then we supplement our sourcing with text messaging, PPC leads, online leads. Mm -hmm. uh, we do some direct mail, but it's very, very targeted. And that's stage one, right? So from that point, basically what happens is we have cold callers in place and 
they are just gauging for interest. So if somebody wants to sell, I mean, they're hitting a thousand people, you know, actually we hit about on a daily basis. I think we're hitting about maybe 7,000 people, seven to 8,000 people. With um, cold calls. Cold calls and- Or and, any other contact. Yeah, cold calls and SMS. So our reach yeah. is around seven to 8,000 people, right? But there's no pre-qualification process. There's not, it doesn't bog you down. It's just, that's a machine. Boom, boom, boom. That's what they're doing. That's the role, right? And then it moves on to uh, pre-qualifying. I have lead managers that pre-qualify. It's a higher tier employee. So our cold callers, VAs. They're, yeah. they're all VAs. You know, they're in the Philippines. I hear, like, you know, VAs are not good for, you know, because of the accent, because of the, I have an accent. It's terrible. When I'm speaking, <laughs> like my Mexican Spanish comes out and it's okay. Like, it's just part of life. But no, like you find really, really good people that want to work. And for us, it works well because we can pay them a little more than the average that they make over there. And it's a win for them. For us, it's a win because, you know, they're really good employees. So our team is, you know, we ended up with a team in-house. And I started with one VA though, one cold mm -hmm. caller. And she was from the Philippines. She still is. Now she's running the department. But you go from that and then your second stage is pre-qualify. So you convert. You have to source and then convert, right? Your pre-qualification process. We pre-qualify leads based on four things, okay? Number one is going to be condition. So we just open up with a bunch of questions about the condition of the house and then the timeline. How soon do they want to sell? And then the motivation. So that's three. And then the price. So if you have, I mean, we call them the four pillars. So if we have, you know, good insight on those four things, we know that we can talk about a deal or a negotiation, even if the price is off, but the other three are, the condition is messed up, the timeline is there, then the motivation is there. We know there's something that we can work with, right? At the end of the day, what we're looking for, and before I get ahead of myself, we pre-qualify, so we send them over to acquisition. So that's uh, stage number three. So we have sourcing number one, converting number two, acquisitions number three, and that's uh, my acquisitions rep. What they're looking for is ways of finding out what the real problem is. The thing that I had wired into my head when I first got into wholesaling is like, if I don't have the highest price, like I'm done. Everybody else is going to beat me. So I, but it's really not, it's funny, man, but Jacob, out of 100 people who want to sell, maybe four are going to sell to us. So it's, we're looking for a very small you know, niche in the market. And we're, I mean, my God, I don't know if you've seen you know, some pictures of wholesale properties. But these are messed up properties. They're hoarder it can houses. Be, yeah, right. They need a roof. They have holes in the walls. They're boarded up for the most part, right? When they have that physical condition issue going on, a lot of times you have people who get relocated. They need to sell. Hey, listen, I got 30 days to actually get paid on this thing. I got to move or I'm going to dump it. It's a probate property and it's really you know, messed up. I don't know what to do with it. I don't want it. Just want to do. So there's always a, lot, a ton of issues that go into play when you're having these conversations. And when you're at the acquisitions and negotiations, quote unquote, stage. It's really one of the things that you're trying to find out. I mean, it's not a boiler room, you know, type of conversation. We're looking at the stuff that we can come in and help out with. Okay. If we can help them, if we can be a solution for them and exchange some type of time and convenience for revenue, it works out. Otherwise, they're better off listing the property. And we tell them that, right? So that's stage number three is acquisitions. We get the deal locked, it goes under contract, and then we push it over to Dispo. Dispositions is where we sell the deal. Mm -hmm. the, uh, so I have a dispositions manager. We're, we, I've been building my buyers list since actually around 2011. So it's, I mean, it's a pretty healthy buyers list at this point, especially for the Maricopa County area. But it's kind of like your holy grail, right? If you're wholesaling, if you've been thinking about wholesaling, just start stacking up those emails from buyers because it's going to be a really, really good asset for you to have once you get properties. If you're wholesaling, 
and uh, you have a property, you come across a deal, or whatever. There's also ways of finding buyers like right away. You can always partner up with somebody who has a list. You can exchange lists. And what you're looking for is, you know, fixing flippers at the end of the day. We went through a time period right now, and I think it's dwindling down where we were selling two hedge funds, uh, real estate funds, and they were paying close to retail. I mean, wholesalers couldn't be happier, right? But yeah. that's because of the supply and demand of the market. It's the supply, you know, here in Phoenix, it's crazy low. It's still low. It's getting uh, higher. I mean, we were, uh, take this as an average. And it's happening because I have students across the, the country. It's happening, you know, all over the place too. But um, our average numbers are between 28, you know, 28,000. It's relatively a buyer's and seller's, you know, market just for Maricopa County, 28,000 in inventory. Yeah. Uh, when you're looking at the MLS, we were down to about 1,700. You know, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, you're running beyond the red. You know what I mean? What happens? Funds like they need property. So we went through a period that was pretty healthy for wholesaling. We locked up a deal. We could, you know, even if it was messed up, certain buy boxes and whatnot, but they would pay for it. So we had that opportunity to go. Now they're stepping back from buying that kind of stuff. Inventory is about 10,000. So it's increasing little by little and supply and demand, you know, really matters. But anyways, that's this proportion of it. Building your buyer's list is important. Knowing how to price the exit when you're wholesaling. I mean, you want to leave meat on the bones for the investors and that sort of thing. So that's really critical. Usually where most wholesale businesses stop though, we have, um, I added a measuring and improving as a fifth and sixth step. Okay, okay. So we measure KPIs. We track what lead marketing campaigns are working for us. How many people did we reach? And this goes like every section before the measuring stage has their own KPIs. So sourcing has their own KPIs. Lead management has their own KPIs. Acquisitions has their own. And then Dispo has their own, right? But the idea and KPIs are key performance indicators. These are like the, right. the numbers that tell you how your company's doing, right? It's like a dashboard for your company. So for us, I know we got to be hitting at least 70, one of the KPIs, right? The reach has to be 7,500 a week for the cold callers. This is crazy. We don't have that. We're not able to generate the 60 to 80 leads that we need, uh, prospects, I'm sorry, that we need for acquisition, right? Because the cold callers are not generating enough for the lead manager and then the lead manager is not generating enough for the acquisitions. So we are not going to have enough deals, right? So that's a big KPI for us. And it's something that we can control. If we're not hitting 7,500 people or reaching out to 7,500 people or 8,000, you know, that's something that we can work. It's either an attitude problem from the cold caller side, from the employee side, or a training issue, one of the two, right? So we can come in and then fine tune that, but we throttle it. So now say that we added another acquisition rep and we need, I don't know, 10, 15 more leads a week. All we do is kick that number up add two more cold callers. And then you start kind of you know, dialing in your operation as you're going. But those are the six steps that just kind of allow me to not get bottlenecked in the operation and then just really have it kind of flow together. And the sixth one is improvement. So every time we close a deal on that manager's meeting, we'll talk about, you know, the stuff that happened, like the bigger deals that we, you know, we dealt with and whatnot. What did we do right? What did we do wrong? And it's almost like an awareness session. We have awareness sessions when it comes to self-improvement, right? And meditation and journaling and all that stuff. It's kind of like, I take that, those, you know, similar principles and just apply yeah. it to the manager's meeting mm -hmm. in a, you know, less woo-woo, you know, type of way, but, yeah, yeah. but, but, you know, it works it just brings clarity. Like, oh, you know, shit, we could have done this on the marketing. We could have, we left money on the table when this happened and that sort of thing. So then we turn it into protocols and then just recycle again. So we go to those six, six steps. That's awesome. Really informative there and uh, some good ideas. I'm taking away every, like I said, every time I talk with a wholesaler, I'm like, that's a great idea. I need to measure that, you know, take that into my business. But a couple of things I want to pull out here is looking at your whole process, Raphael, there are some skills that I think are translatable and relatable to other real estate investors out there. One, being able to find source 
off-market deals, you know, being able to negotiate with a distressed owner or a distressed property, I think is a really important skill. Being able to analyze the deal, right? And understand your numbers and, you know, be able to run comps and understand, you know, what this property could sell for and look at, you know, maybe rehab costs, things like that. Super important skill. And then being able to turn around and talk and communicate with an investor-minded buyer, right? To be able to turn around and sell that to them and say, hey, this is why this deal works. Here's what the numbers look like. I think those are all very relatable skills, whether you're going to go out and buy and hold or syndicate a property or whatever that looks like for you, any model you're doing, I think these are very translatable skills. So that's just one point why I like to look at other people that are doing things in different spaces than I am and take away things like that. One thing you mentioned, and I have this same reservation in my mind is cold calling. I will do my own cold calling, but obviously I can't make 7,500 cold calls myself a week and do everything else, right? But that's something I've had mentally struggled to let go because I call people in my area and I sound like them. I can relate with them. I can be like, oh yeah, my grandparents live in the neighboring town, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I know that area, yada, yada, yada. They still doing construction on this highway. You know, I feel like I can relate to them and I have a little bit of a hard time letting that piece go. What's your thought there? Oh, no, no, man. You're right along the lines. I totally get it. So what you're doing there is you're cold calling, but you're doing the lead manager's role, the pre-qualification process right out of the mm-hmm. For example, when we cold call, it's really a simple one-step conversation or one-page conversation that they go through. And it's gauging for interest. Like, oh, I'm calling you about the property and want you to remain mainstream. You know, this is uh, Amy from Pulse Capital. We're buying properties in the area. And it's very standard. It's a very standard, you know, it's a typical, it's not a covert script that you have, you know, some magic, you know, uh, NLP yeah. words in it. And then you're, you're tricking people into like, yeah, saying yes. No, it's not that. It's straight up, you know, it's, it, again, that's why I'm saying it's not sexy. It's pretty standard you know, type of stuff that you go through, through it. The opener makes a difference. So we'll open with the name. So we have the records, right? We skip trace records. The data's pretty good. We go through batch skip tracing. And so we'll have, uh, hey, John, this is Amy from Pulse Capital. I'm calling about 123 Main Street. Do you have a sec? You know, something simple like that. A lot of people are going to say no. 96% of are going to say no. And then they're going to be that small number that say yes. So the cold callers, what they're doing, they're not having that conversation. They're really teeing it up. I just wanted to see if you were interested in an offer. And if they are, you know, they have their manager give them a call and then you're the manager, right? So yeah. the way the numbers break down, because I did have, you know, that FOMO going on, right? If you're missing out, it's what if I'm missing out on deals? What if I'm missing out on leads and conversations? But I was having a ton of conversations that weren't really going anywhere, right? So to put it into context, your cold callers are going to talk to a thousand people, right? Or your cold caller. And let me make one thing clear. Even if you're a solopreneur, if you're a wholesaler that's doing this thing on their own, you can still break it down through the stages. You don't need a team. You don't need a team to the process that I just mentioned. It's you just not, wear the next hat and wear the next hat, right? Exactly. So just understand where your hats are at. That way you can plug people into it when the time comes. That's good. Okay. So just wrap your head around that, that idea, right? I started as a solopreneur and that's exactly how I just kind of started crafting the thing. But anyways, going back to it. So you have the one page, super simple conversation. They're sourcing interest. That's really what they're doing on the sourcing stage. And they're gauging for interest. Somebody raises their hand. They say, okay, yes, I want a million bucks for my property. They have no idea, you know, about property values. They're just cold calling, right? So they're reaching a thousand people doing all that tasky work. They're reaching a thousand people out of those 1000, maybe, I don't know, let's say a hundred raise their hand. It's like, all right, cool. Give me an offer. But they're not really, you know, primed for acquisitions, right? So mm-hmm. it's just, they're not pre-qualified. There's just a hundred people who want numbers. That's it. So the lead manager, instead of talking to a thousand people, is talking to a hundred in her day, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So they pre-qualify, say that out of those 100 people, 10 end up being pre-qualified. The acquisitions hat 
is only talking to 10 people. So if you're the acquisitions person in a company or you're hiring, you're looking at bringing somebody on to help you out with the thing. The last thing that you want to do is burn out your acquisitions rep with a ton of you know, pointless cold calls where they're going to have to talk to a thousand people. By the time they get to those four, that 4%, it's, they're going to be tired. They're going to be beat. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. wasting their talent. It's really what happens. So in your case, the conversation about the freeway and what's going on in the park and the new projects that are happening, mm -hmm. that's a lead manager. It's the uh, conversion stage. So that's second stage. So I have the coaching program is a wholesale and business blueprint. This is, you know, it's exactly the type of stuff that we break down. People like you'll have somebody who close a really big deal. Hey, listen, I have $30,000, $50,000. I want to hire people and I want to, you know, pull myself out of the business. Yeah, but you know, takes time to get to that point, right? You have yeah. to hire and think about control growth as you're going through it. And the first hire I always recommend is going to be that cold caller. It's not a manager. It's not an acquisitions rep. It's really that cold caller because they manage the bulk of that taskiness, right? It's delegatable. It's stuff that, I mean, if you're sitting there and just kind of like brainless stuff as you're going through the conversation, just know it so well that it becomes a, you know, second nature type of deal. But that real conversation, the pre-qualification happens when they tee it up. So, and you can tee it up in a couple of different ways. I mean, you can do live transfers if you want to. I'm not a big fan of that. We just, you know, schedule a call to go back to them. And that's when, you know, when I was running the pre-qualifications and stuff like that, now it's, you can do live transfers, you can do, you know, work it in any which way, but then you go off of those four pillars. Okay. You figure out about the condition of the house. So the way that sounds is as we're going through the process is like, okay, yeah, you spoke to my assistant, Amy. And I understand that you're interested in numbers on 123 Main Street. Is this a good time? I mean, I know we had you on the time for this, but I don't have a lot of information. Even if you do have a bunch of information for some reason, yeah. uh, I don't have a lot of information on my notes. I just want to double check a couple of things. Can you tell me a little bit you know, about the property? And then you start heading into it with open-ended questions, right? Not, for example, close-ended question would be, does the property need a roof? That's a yes or no answer, right? Like, yes, it needs a roof. And then that kind of kills the conversation right there. Right. right? If yeah. you can answer yes or no, that's a closed-ended question, Closed-ended right? question, yeah. right? But if you tee it up with open-ended questions and just kind of navigate like that, and then whenever they ask you something, you answer the question, but you follow up immediately with another question, it just keeps the conversation rolling. So those are really good just discovery, you know, key points as you're having those conversations with people. But yeah, when you have, when you get into that relatable, you know, space is because somebody's familiar with the area, you're doing a, a discovery, you know, type of talk, and then you move. There's three stages to a conversation. First one is interest. Again, the second one is whether or not this person is going to be a right fit for us. And then the third one is, okay, cool. Let's talk about numbers. When you start talking numbers, you know, you're in the acquisition state. So okay. your hat changes from that yeah. lead manager to acquisitions. All right, let's talk numbers. And you don't go back. You don't go back to that, the initial, you know, minutia talk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You, bet you keep it focused. Yeah. Man, so much good stuff here, Raphael. Let's talk to this hypothetical prospective real estate investor. Say, you know, um, we're going to give advice to a real estate investor. Many people won't want to go do this whole work, right? So as a real estate investor, a lot of people just, hey, put me on your buyer's list. Here's what I'm looking for, right? And that's a great way for real estate investors to find off-market deals as they leverage wholesalers like yourself, Raphael. So what are some pieces of advice you'd have to real estate investors for working with wholesalers? man, one of the things that kill, we, we'll blacklist people from our buyer's list. <laughs> okay. How do we not do that? <laughs> we, we'll blacklist. So for example, like we get it sometimes, you know, things happen and whatnot, but we've had people or buyers that come in and they're like, yeah, I want that property and I want it and I want it. And they just absolutely assure that they want the property. And then at the time of escrow, EMD is not in, we're, you know, trying to chasing them, giving them, you know, a second shot at the property and that type of deal, because we're, it to us, time is very sensitive. Time is very sensitive. So for a wholesaler is going to ask you to close within 10 days. Uh, for the most, if they know what they're doing, right? Because we have a time frame, 30 days usually with the seller 
And then we have some, you know, a little bit of time to push the property or vested interest in the property there. And then we find a buyer for it. And then we have to perform quick. So, I mean, it really comes down to doing what you say, right? Depositing EMD is, is going to be huge. And building, you know, having that conversation. A lot of wholesalers, most wholesalers out there are willing to give you, okay, cool. I'll give you a discount on this property because I know we're going to make it up on the next one, right? So it's, you know, building that relationship, building that connection. I have people that I go to. The way that we break down our buyers list, it's a really good question, by the way. We have a big, massive list. I think we're about, I don't know, 55,000 cash buyers on our buyers list. Wow. And that's a big list, right? I call that, you know, the big list. From that, we have, I think, 20, around 2,800, just a small list of 2,800 VAP buyers. We hit those via email, you know, as well. And then we have a small list of, I think, I don't know, last time I checked, I think we had about 17 people in that list. It's an A list, right? So we have a small A list of buyers that we call. Hey, uh, listen, bro, I just locked up this commercial deal. It's off of Indian School and Central. We're going to put it out, but no, we're calling the A-list. These people know because we have relationships with them. Right, right. Uh, we're calling you guys first, and we're going to give you guys 24 hours before you know, we blast it out. And then we would push it out. If we don't have any bites, we'll push it out to that other you know, 27, 2800 list, which is the VAP list. And then if that doesn't work, we'll push it up to the big list. So what you want to do is build a strong enough relationship so that you're on a phone call basis with that wholesaler. If you know that somebody that gives you deals and they have that percentage built into the, like, for example, we have a minimum of 12% ROI for the end buyer when they buy a property, right? That's a minimum that's got to be in there. And then we cap out, like we'll go, uh, depending on the spread that we have, meaning how you know, we negotiated the property, we'll build you know, our price into it, but we make sure that there's always meat in the bones for that investor. So if you create a relationship with a wholesaler that's doing something similar to that, just get on, on a phone call basis with them. Like, don't tell them, hey, listen, just put me on your email list because if they're doing business, they're going to have, I don't know, 5,000 people in that email. Yeah, uh, right. And it goes to spam and you miss it. So, you know, get uh, more on a personal basis, especially with a dispo, whoever is doing dispositions with. It's an interesting relationship between wholesalers and investors, I've found, Rafael, because you have to have respect and trust on both ends, right? You know, as yeah. the end buyer, you have to trust that person's going to show up to the closing table with money and actually close. And then as the real estate investor buyer, you have to trust, you know, this wholesaler's numbers are good. I mean, you know, trust, but verify, of course, but you know, I'm yeah. on wholesalers list too. And there's wholesalers I can tell that are good. And there's wholesalers I can tell, or, you know, just kind of flying by the seat of their pants. And sometimes I'll look at these numbers and I'll say, okay, let's just take a hypothetical scenario here. $100,000 house, ARV, 300,000 needs $1,500 a carpet. You're like, no way, absolutely not. This is not working. Right. So, you know, or like, you know, it's a total remodel and, you know, they estimate $12,000 for the whole thing. It's like, come on, no, yeah, like no, the ACs so, alone is going to cost 12K. Like, Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, I mean, you have that. And then there's also a lot of daisy chaining, a lot of wholesalers. Yes. That are, so tell us exactly what that is for the listeners that don't know what so, daisy chaining so is. So we call it daisy chaining because it's a very sophisticated term. <laughs> and, and no, but what it is, is like somebody else locks a property. Say that I lock a property, I have a direct to seller and I push it out to my list, right? Somebody sees it on that list and they'll take it a lot of times without, you know, consulting the wholesaler who's got the contract and then they'll push it out to their buyers. And then, you know, that's their daisy chaining that deal, right? So now if they have a buyer for it, they'll come to you and they'll say that they're the buyer, but they have a second assignment going on in the back end of other things. So now the end buyer, so the fix and flipper is at the end of that daisy chain, that guy's assignment fee, and then he's got my assignment fee, right? So he's yeah. getting, you know, kind of like the raw end of the deal. When you're betting uh, wholesalers, just people who are doing that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying there's a lot of JVing opportunity. Sometimes you JV and the deal makes sense, right? Meaning that 
you're partnering up with somebody who's got a deal, they're going to be cut into the deal. And then you push it through your buyer's list because it's an asset. That's, you know, that's perfectly fine. But then you have it where people just overdo. I've seen deals where like, what the hell? There was four assignment agreements in that deal. So there's four people that are getting paid before the actual fix and flipper, you know, kind of you know, took the property. Right. Um, so anyways, if, again, if the numbers make sense, it doesn't matter. But a lot of times that most of the times they don't when you have that kind of deal going on. One hack, I guess one, if you want to, if I want to give you a wholesaler's insider, you know, tip, it's a lot of times for wholesalers, time is more important than money. Okay. So for example, my operation is volume operation. If we have a buyer that we know he pays a little less than the average, he's going to, oh, he's going to run us down 5k you know, every single time, you know, but he closes in 10 days, he closes quick. Like, okay, cool. Let's keep the volume going. You know, that's fine. We'll appreciate the performance more than the occasional, you know, high spread on a deal. So. Yeah. Especially if there's not certainty to close, you know, maybe this is a new buyer yeah. who, you know, unproven, yeah. right. But they're going to offer you $5,000 more, but never yeah. show up. Yeah. For example, like that small list that I'm talking about in the Valley, it's a small list. So we don't put just anybody in it, but on that, I mean, I can tell you have about, maybe eight people in there that they say they want it. Like, yeah, bro, it's off the market. We just, we trust them, right? They perform. And I like one of those guys has default on the purchase, but it's like, you know what? I had an EMD in of $5,000. It's my bad. I'm not going to be able to perform. He let us know real quick. The EMD went hard. Uh, so we kept the earnest money. That, that type of stuff. They do right by the way mm -hmm. they perform. So yeah, I mean, not even, we don't like with them, no proof of funds or, you know, crazy things like that. It's like, it's a, really on a phone call. Like, do you want it? Yeah. Okay, cool. All yours. But it's really good to have that type of relationship, you know, with anybody in any business, right? For that matter. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rafael, this is an awesome conversation. I always love talking with wholesalers like yourself, especially high level wholesalers who are like crushing it in the business like you're doing. Like I said, I used to be hesitant about talking about the subject because I just, you know, it's not what I'm personally doing in my business. But every time I talk with somebody like you, I take away so much valuable content, especially around like your systems and processes. And I thank you for your uh, contribution to that as well today. Before we wrap up, let's uh, end with our famous lightning around. I say famous, you know, self-proclaimed famous, but uh, just a series of five questions like to fire at you. Are you up for it? Down. I'm down. Let's go. All right, cool. First question is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate or just in the real estate world that is? And then what'd you do to overcome that? Taking the leap. Really? Just, I mean, really taking the leap. That was the biggest hurdle. Like, should I do it? Should I not? I'm curious about this. I want a little more. You know, that same thing I was talking about earlier. I mean, I don't know. I messed around with the idea for a few months before I even considered it seriously. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, when you're trying to jump in that cold pool, I'm like, eh, I want to get in, I want to get in, but I don't want to get in. So anyways, that was a, one of the biggest hurdles then going into it just because I didn't know what I was doing and whatnot. What I did about it was action, really. Like it sounds cliche, right? But I listened to enough podcasts where I had, okay, cool. I think I have an idea what this thing is. So I'm going to do step one and just figure out step two after I'm there at step one. This is uh, coming straight from one of my mentors, Tom Crow, but a massive imperfect action is really what gets it done. Massive imperfect action is okay. Uh, I like that. Yeah. And it's having an idea, right, of a north where you want to head. And I mean, think of it like if you want to drive to New York, I don't know if you know the exact route off no. the top of your head. I don't. <laughs> exactly. But you know New York is there, right? Yeah. Like, it exists. There's pictures, like there's selfies of people in New York. And like, there's, it's got to be there. If you have a map, you know where to you know, get off and kind of go. If you don't have a map, at least you know that you can go to the gas station. That's your step one to buy a map, right? Man, I, I just went like 90s on you. 
Gas station, <laughs> gas station buying maps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Millennials won't understand. Maps are, you know, I don't know, they're made out of paper. They have a lot of drawings on them. So <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> massive yeah, imperfect action. Massive imperfect action at the end of the day. Yeah. I love it. Raphael, next question. Do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? Uh, yes. Yes. I do uh, morning rituals. Been doing that for a long, long time. Sometimes I drop the ball on them, but I try to stick to it as much as I can. So 6 a.m., 6 to 7, I'm usually, I call it connection time. So it's my meditation time. I sit with myself and, and I just meditate. I breathe. I kind of, you know, clear out that space of the noise that I know is going to be happening throughout the day. 7 to 8, it's my um, creative thinking time. I have to time block that in. Creative thinking for me is one of the biggest tools that we can use as entrepreneurs. And that's me just sitting down journaling and then slapping ideas on a piece of paper. Usually when I meditate and have a really good session, I'll come out with ideas and just thoughts from that. And then I'll just roll into that uh, journaling space. And then from around eight to uh, 10, I call it my growth time, which is I hit the gym. I listen to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks. It's usually what I'm doing when I'm driving or, mm -hmm. or working out. And then during those two hours, I'll, you know, sit down and read for at least 30 minutes or so. I'll actually, you know, get the book on my hands and yeah. you know, you know, type of deal. But that sets me up, right? It, when I do that kind of stuff, I feel like I'm running the day. It's not running me. So it, it, just it. becomes a really, really good, good habit after a while. Really cool. Raphael, do you have an online resource you find valuable in your day-to-day? -day? Online resource, I would go Audible, you know, as far as books. I mean, that's really my go-to. It's, it's one of the hot buttons in my phone. Yeah. I use, think about perspective, right? A lot of, we don't know what we don't know. And yeah, we have masterminds, we have, you know, groups that we tap into and whatnot, but on a regular basis, it's so easy just to get your phone. Your phone makes you a cyborg. You have <laughs> the information of the world in your hand, right? Right here, always. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I'm a robot automatically by holding this thing in my hand. So it's just incredible if you tap into it the right way, right? As opposed to consuming a lot of, you know, the social media and TikToks and, you know, things that are, I don't know, I look for value at, but my go-to is really audible. I go to my, you know, books and it just, even if I'm having, it's weird, but I, if I don't feel like, you know, sometimes you wake up with that emotional, you know, block and you're not, just not feeling the vibes, I'll throw in a book and then I'll listen to Wayne Dyer or something like that. And it just puts me in a whole different space. It's crazy. It takes 15 minutes, but it just resets. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, yeah, Audible is my go-to online. That leads to our next question. What book would you recommend to listeners and why? Game Changer books. Well, it depends on what you're talking about, right? I mean, overall, I think Psycho-Cybernetics has been one of the best books that I've read. Maxwell Maltz, Psycho-Cybernetics. It's a really good book on practical psychology and self-image. It helped me understand a lot of things. And then The Alchemist, Paulo Coelho. Yeah. It's a really good book on... Finding Purpose, if you know how to just interpret the book. There's so many layers to that book, man. I love that book. And then, of course, you have, you know, Think and Grow Rich and, you know, the rest of them. But I'd go with those two. Awesome. Yeah. The right. Cycle Cybernetics is new. And to me, we'll link all those books mm -hmm. in the show notes if our audience members want to check those out. Raphael, last question in the lightning round. If you were to go back and give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would you tell 20-year-old Raphael? Cut the learning curve. How? Get coaching. Get coaching or get mentored somehow, yeah. some way. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was really, I paid a lot of dumb tax. <laughs> <laughs> dumb tax, yeah. I, paid, I spent a couple of years working for 42 cents a, an hour. There you <laughs> go, yeah. I was, I was going through the learning curve. So yeah, awesome, it's, yeah. it's a way to getting in front of the line. It, it really is. Great so, advice. Raphael, hey, it's been a lot of fun talking with you. We could go on for hours, but let's go ahead and start wrapping up. You are no stranger to actually being on the mic yourself, just on the other side today. 
You're the host of the CEO Pulse podcast. You have Pulse Business. Tell us all about what you do there, where people can find more about you, reach out to you if they want to connect and learn more. Thank you. Yeah, so the CEO Pulse podcast, it's the real, the run, the mind of entrepreneurship. I have a lot of people in real estate that go into that podcast just because we all gravitate to that environment. But yeah, we break down mindset, we you know, break down strategies, really like the stories of successful entrepreneurs. I mean, just kind of like what you're doing here in the show. And then uh, through CEO Pulse, that's one of my companies. That's my organizational psychology practice. So I do coaching and consulting for businesses in general. One of the big branches is uh, real estate coaching. So I coach a lot of wholesale stuff. I have a wholesale coaching program, online program, and then we jump on a weekly uh, coaching calls. That's through reiwholesaling.com. And actually, if you want to download a PDF download of what I talked about in the stages of the business, yeah, you can go to www.reiwholesaling.com and then just get the free download from there. And yeah, I mean, there's info on the program in there. But as far as the content where people can find me, I'm pretty active on social media, Instagram, Rafael Cortez, CEO. That's R-E-F-A-E-L, Cortez, CEO. Same thing on YouTube. I drop a lot of videos on, I have three series, one on mindset, one on real estate, uh, wholesaling 101, and then one on business systems and processes. So I have a couple of different series in there along with the podcast. I mean, it's a ton of content. And it's, I mean, that's all free. So it's, it's just up for anybody. Fantastic. Awesome. We will link all of those resources in the show notes. If our audience members want to check that out. Thanks for that free PDF at reiwholesaling.com. We'll link that organizational psychologist, real estate coach, broker, investor, rock star, entrepreneur, Rafael Cortez. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Look forward to having you back on in the future. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.